Okay, now I'm live. Now let's see. It says you're live. Okay, good. Now the question is, are you going to see? Oh, yeah, you'll see the comments on the right. There you go. Okay, let's but I got a notification. Hold on. Do I should I select this and go to YouTube uh, to Twitter? Yeah, you, you want to click that link? Bear in mind, you might be live right now. I am live right now. Now, do I see you right now? Oh, yeah, there you go. I see. I hear you. Okay, I see you live on the internet. <laughs> now you're gonna hear my voice. Okay, there you go. Oh, here we go. We got our first guy. <laughs> hey guys. Right, now, hang up on me, again, Otherwise, we're gonna hear the echo back and forth. Okay, you're gone. Ciao. All right, see hey guys. All right, what's up? Talk to me. First, oh, wait a second. Let me close this. Okay, I close this thing. I'm utterly clueless. I don't know what I'm doing. My hair is messed up. All right, what's up, guys? Uh, new book coming out anytime soon. Uh, well, hopefully soon. I'm finishing the first uh, draft. Uh, by the way, guys, I'm testing this new Super Chat. If you support my work, please consider doing so via Super Chat. Tax season has come in, and I don't want to tell you the reality that I just faced. So if you love my work, please consider supporting it through Super Chat. Okay, two, tons and tons of comments here, so I don't know if I can get to them. Hello, hello, Dr. Sad. Hello, Professor Sad. Hi, hi, hello. Any questions? Uh, let me see. Race Against the Machine. Hello from Ireland. You look gorgeous. Don't I know it? Thank you, guys. What's a good recent book on evolutionary psychology? Well, you can read uh, the latest book by uh, my good friend, uh, David Buss. He came out with a book. He recently came on my show a couple of months ago. He's one of the pioneers of evolutionary psychology, so check him out. How important is Elon Musk's Twitter deal for online discourse? Uh, well, I just put out uh, two clips on Elon Musk. One was a serious analysis of what this does to free speech the other one was a satirical piece where i was hiding under the desk because both sam harris and i the malibu meditator are terrified that elon musk will now allow freedom of speech imagine if donald trump were allowed to speak his mind we couldn't tolerate that uh so there you have it uh what's inspiring you these days are you still talking well viva fry starts me off on the Thank you, Viva. $27.99 says, aren't you generous? Thank you so much. Guys, uh, to give you a sense, the Canadian tax season is out of this world. I, I literally experienced a, an existential breakdown. You know, I work hard all my life. I write this book. I think that I'm going on the right path. Thank you, Matthew. I'm saving some money. And then I calculate what I owe and the government says, hey, you know, all the money that you've made from this book, all the money that you made from your speaking engagements, all the money that you made from your mind, from your soul, from your brain, it's ours. And so I went from having a bit of a nest egg to uh, I don't want to tell you. Anyways, it's been very, very tough. And so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to try to lick my wounds and uh, appeal to the good fortunes of uh the good, uh, the kindness of my supporters to uh, help me uh, 
deal with the reality. And anyways, I always wanted to kind of connect more directly with people. Oh my God, Jose, thank you so much. I don't know what MX means. Mexican, is it pesos? I'm not sure, but thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, taxation is theft. Y you know, what makes it so uh, galling for me is that uh, if, if I can use this opportunity to engage in mass therapy uh, through all of you being my clinical psychologist, is that there's something very uh, pernicious when the government is taking the money that stems from your creative output. You know, when I'm working as a professor, part of my being a professor is, thank you, Matthew, uh, part of my being a professor is, uh, you know, administrative work or I'm teaching and so on. So, you know, you can kind of justify in your head why they should be taking 50% of your salary, you know, even though it's completely criminal, even though taxes were supposed to be temporary back in 1917, you somehow, you know, are willing to accept it. But when they come after the most personal creations, right? My, my neuronal production, I wrote this book. These are my thoughts, my hard work, my wisdom, my contributions to society. And then they say, hey, thank you very much, Dr. Saad. Fork up all of your royalties. You know, it really puts you in kind of this desperate mood. I'm, I'm not trying to whine and please, I hope I don't get some nasty messages, but it's, it's, a, it's a truly terrible reality to go. You know, and I don't make enough money you know, to say, well, whether you tax me $25 million, I still have $25 million. That's not true in my case. The, the money that I'm able to save from the royalties is either what I can put away for, you know, a nest egg for retirement, or they take it all away. So in any case, if you wish to support me, please do so. Yes, crypto. I know nothing about crypto. I hope that, uh, uh, you know, maybe that might be a solution moving forward. What is the, oh my God, they're coming in so quickly, guys. I'm trying to keep up here. A big hello from Bolivia. My goodness, taxes are removed from salaries prior to being paid in Australia. Exactly. The, the problem with me is that I had all of this uh, income that was not taxed at the source so that when you have to do your taxes after the fact, it becomes a problem because you realize how much the government wants to steal from you. Uh, are you considering moving to the US? Absolutely, I'm thinking of moving to the US. Uh, I've been wanting to leave Canada for more than 20 years. I'm always grateful to Canada because they accepted us, uh, you know, as war refugees coming from Lebanon where, you know, bombs were, you know, raining on us. Uh, it was a good thing to move to Canada because we had snow raining on us rather than bombs and snipers and militia who wanted to behead us. So that was all good. But uh, 40 plus years later on, you realize that... Uh, you know, Canada is a place that's wonderful for people who benefit from the social welfare system. But the system only works. It's a Ponzi scheme. It only works if those who are most productive, those who, 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 who you know, make the most money are able to support everybody else. And so, you know, I don't want to be part of this Ponzi scheme anymore. Uh, I think I've paid more than my share of taxes and gotten very little in return. And so I, I want to get out. You know, I'm someone who believes in personal agency. I believe, uh, sure, if, if the taxes were a flat tax for everybody, 10%, hey, that's what we all pay. But there is no moral reason why, you know, one person should pay $250,000 in taxes while 40% of Canadians pay zero taxes. That makes no sense. There is no moral compass by which that makes sense. And so, yes, I'm thinking of leaving the United uh, to the U.S. Thank you, Benjamin. God bless America. Thank you. Uh, don't blame you, Dr. Sad. Time for us to go. Indeed, smash that like. 
Well, this is fun. I don't know why I didn't start. Hey, thank you so much, Farm Farm Ginner. I truly appreciate uh, your contribution. This is wonderful. I'm just trying to look through these. Uh, all right, what else? You are the best. By the way, uh, big big uh, thumb not thumbs up, but uh, shout out to Viva. I call him Viva. Some of you know him as David Freiheit, but he also goes by Viva. We met earlier for coffee. And I had long thought about, you know, setting up my locals platforms, setting up my uh, uh, Rumble account. Uh, I even toyed with doing Substack, but I probably won't. Uh, and also doing this kind of live stream, super chat stuff. Uh, but I'd never gotten around to it because, you know, I'm doing all kinds of other things, writing books, doing lab work, being a professor. And then today, Viva said, what are you doing? It's a no-brainer. People want to connect with you. Uh, this is a great way for you to build a community. What are you doing? Get on it right away. So Viva, if you're still watching, uh, thank you for having nudged me. I should have done this long ago, but better late than never. All right, what else we've got? How do you suggest fighting the woke brigade within the public education system? Well, activate your inner honey badger. Christopher Rufo. A year ago, most people had never heard of Christopher Rufo. Today, look what he's been able to achieve. He's become the catalyst fighting against anti-critical race theory. Uh, he's the guy who is single-handedly bringing down uh, Disney's you know, woke brigade. Uh, he's become the central repository of many of these uh, you know, trench uh, battles against uh, the woke. So there is no magic wand. There is no magic recipe. You simply have to get involved. As I explained in the parasitic mind, there is, you know, activate your inner honey badger. Some people, you know, can tolerate greater risk. They have the personality to, to, to really get out there and fight. Others are a bit more subdued and that's fine. Not everybody has the same temperament for these fights. Not everybody can tolerate the same risks to their jobs and so on. So I'm not asking everybody to be an unnecessary martyr. But everybody has to speak out. If you're, if the teacher of your kid is saying something insane, challenge them. Write to the principal. Ask for a meeting. Request, uh, you know, that they explain to you why they're, you know, being taught about, uh, you know, uh, sexual identity in when they're six years old. Just care enough to get involved. Okay. Don't simply write to those who do the fighting on your behalf to thank them. That's that's nice. I love receiving all sorts of messages from wonderful people saying that they appreciate my work. But I'd also appreciate if you fight on behalf of our children. So there you go. Any views on South American politics? Not really. When are you going on Joe Rogan? Oh, uh, May 10th, 12.30 local time. Dr. Goodlooks will be with Joe Rogan. And this time around, I don't think he's going to be fat shaming me because as it stands, yours truly is much thinner than Joe Rogan. And sorry for the, thank you, Benjamin, for your contribution. I really appreciate it. Uh, Sorry for the disheveled look. I hope that I don't look like a completely homeless old guy. Uh, I just said to my wife, I'm, just, I'm not waiting. I'm just going live and whatever happens, happens. So maybe that was uh, uh, an idiotic. Maybe I should have dolled myself up better for you. Uh, looking trim. Thank you. Looking forward to that. What, what got you out of your darkest place? You know, one of the things, thank you for that question. One of the reasons why I wrote my next book, the next book is tentatively titled The Recipe for the Good Life. Uh, and of course, there have been a million books written on that. The ancient Greeks wrote a million books on how to live the good life. The reason what 
the way that I thought that I might contribute to that literature is that I'm fortunate enough to have a very happy disposition. I'm someone who's just joyful, happy by temperament, by disposition, the unique combination of genes that make my personhood make me happy. And so I have that protection. But I also have certain, I think, healthy mindsets that allow me to to go through life, uh, you know, via a positive, rosy prism. That doesn't mean I don't get pissed off at times. Of course I do. As, for example, what I'm currently facing with having to pay a check that will take me from having a nest egg to being almost financially destitute. I mean, I'm being literal. That's That's how punitive the taxes are here. But then here I am. I'm sitting chatting with a bunch of people who appreciate what I do. And so an hour ago, you know, I was thinking that I should jump off a ledge of a building because I can't bear to handle the the financial rape that the government is uh, is, is, is engaging uh, on me. But an hour later, I'm happy because I'm interacting with a bunch of people that uh, are cool, that are appreciative of what I do. And so I think, you know, there is no magic recipe for... Uh, for how you get out of the dark places, other than to say that in, in totality, life is truly magisterial. It's truly beautiful. We all go through difficult periods. Uh, but, you know, think of it this way, and I talk about this in the in my forthcoming book, the chances of you becoming you when your parents couple, right? There's about 400 ova that are going to be uh, fertilizable from your mom. And every time a man ejaculates, there's about 250 million spermatozoa so just statistically speaking that when when your parents mated that that it would result in you is astronomically infinitesimally small and yet here you are we're engaging in this chat i don't know how many people there are here i don't know how to even look let me see i don't know oh how many 232 people uh i don't know if that's good for a first chat uh but you know it's magical 250 million spermatozoa 50 fertilizable, uh, not 50, sorry, 400 fertilizable eggs. Although women are born with about 1 to 2 million ova, about 400 will be fertilizable from menach, the onset of menses, to menopause. So the chances of you ever being uh, born is truly infinitesimal. So enjoy life. It's a short ride. So make every moment count. And so thank you for making me feel a bit better about my near financial destitution. And you can help by contributing through Super Chat. Professor of Color, could you share with us a recent funny woke situation at your school? Oh my God, I've got uh, tons of those. Every 15 seconds, I receive some email. Congratulations to the first transgender, multi-ethnic, uh, non-binary person who, you know, there's always a, what I call story of first. So if you, you know, cure cancer, at my university or any other university, but you happen to be a straight white guy, then unfortunately we won't be able to congratulate you because your story of first, like curing cancer, is simply not relevant enough for the dyed czar, diversity, inclusion, equity. So I've got a million of those stories. I had to take seminar trainings, you know, to learn how to speak to women because until my university taught me how to speak to women, I just didn't know how to do it because all men are walking around as gang rapists and we need our employer to teach us how to interact with women. So there's a million of these, uh, it never ends. Someone asked, uh, how much weight have I lost? Uh, well, uh, greeting from Poland, hey, nice to see you guys. 
Uh, nice to see you from Poland. I was close by and hungry last week. I'll talk about that in a second. But how much weight have I lost? Uh, the most that I ever weighed that I know of uh, in terms of actually having weighed myself, I might have even been more. The most that I've weighed was 256 pounds, which is the weight of an average linebacker in the NFL, except that I'm several inches shorter than the average linebacker. So it was really not a good weight. And, uh, you know, I just decided I'm going to shut my mouth, eat about 15 to 1700 calories a day, do between 15,000 to 20,000 steps a day. And the weight just started coming off. And, you know, it just takes persistence and discipline. Never, you know, I almost never violate uh, a day of diet. And so, you know, bit by bit, you know, oh, I just reached 225. Oh, I just reached 210. Okay, here's 200. And then now, um, the last time I weighed myself, I was 170.2. So I still haven't broken uh, the 170 mark. Uh, great to see you live. Viva sent me a silent. Okay, can you, uh, can you argue with the logic of argument? What the hell is that? I mean, I'm thankful to God for my good life while there are people who have miserable life, probably. Okay, it's a bit heavy for my first uh, uh, live stream. Let's keep it light. You look damn fine, guys. Well, thank you. I also need to lay off the bagels. Uh, the, the best bagels in the world, and, and no one can contest this, are Saint Viator bagels in Montreal. There's, actually, there are literally celebrities from around the world who come to Montreal just to eat those bagels. And that is one of my weak spots. It's about 220 calories per uh, bagel. Uh, but yeah, you got to stay away from all of the carbs if you want to lose weight. 235 was my max and I'm six foot three. Oh God, I wish I were six foot three. If I were six foot three, I would be emperor of the world. Uh, so at least you've got that going for you. Uh, oh, thank you so much, Teddy. I appreciate it. Thank you so, so much. Uh, there's one night to get to be the Uh, I don't think, uh, look, getting a degree, uh, is, is, is always nice because there are certain things that you learn through the formal process of education that uh, you otherwise might uh, not have. But I certainly am uh, pluralistic and democratic when it comes to the process of education. You could be an auto uh, didactic person, you could teach yourself stuff. You, uh, you, look, I know many of my quote professional intellectual colleagues who are, you know, professors are hardly intellectuals and yet i know other people who you know only have a bachelor's degree and yet they are much more intellectual because they are truly cerebral in their bent and so while of course i always encourage people to get as much education as they can formal education i think lifelong learning i mean that's what we're doing here that's what that's why i started my youtube channel that's why i i have such a public engagement because i think that uh, we could all learn in a multitude of ways and so you, you don't have to be uh, credential to be an intellectual but it certainly helps if you want to make a career out of being a public intellectual the fact that you know i show up to a place and i'm a professor just the fact that you have that title uh, is certainly important but i ask people to judge me based on the quality of my arguments not on the number of letters i have after my name uh all right what else we got i make pancakes with oatmeal i mix okay again what do you think okay get that oh my god they're coming fast and furious Cristiano or Lionel Messi? Come on. Uh, uh, I don't know about why you're linking it to Trudeau's best friend, but uh, let's talk Cristiano Ronaldo or, or Lionel Messi. This is one of those things that really gets my goat 
forgive the, the pun, uh, I'm old enough to have seen every single of the greatest players play. Uh, I'm 57, and so I was a very, very young kid when Pele was playing. Then I was about a 10-year-old kid when... Uh, thank you, Chef Freedom. Thank you so much. Hopefully, I will be joining you in the United States one day soon. Uh, in in uh, So to go back, Johan Cruyff was the top Dutch player when I was 10 years old. Uh, he's one of the all-time greatest players. Uh, later, you had Zinedine Zidane. You had, of course, Diego Maradona. Well, Messi is better than the next best four players combined. That's how great he is. Messi is art. The way he moves, if you know soccer, or the proper term, of course, is football, if you know the game, the way that uh, Messi touches the ball is pure art. It's it's a it's a it's a form of aesthetic orgasm. It truly is. Cristiano Ronaldo is incredible in his fortitude, in his discipline, in his athleticism, in his hard work. He's a robot. He's an android. He's great. He's phenomenal. But he doesn't have the natural talents, the natural movements that my boy Lionel Messi does. And so. Anybody who's asking who's the greatest of all time when it comes to soccer, it's definitely Lionel Messi. I'm still under the desk hiding with Sam Harris. When did you leave, Mr. Sad? Well, I came up uh, just so that I can do this live chat. So look, I faced the risk of being whisked away by Elon Musk's uh, neo-Nazi militia just so that I can do this chat. That deserves some super chat contributions. Uh, you posted the wrong link on Twitter. Did I? Oh, no. I am such a schmuck. Sorry about that. Do you see yourself and family living in Canada in the future? Absolutely not. As I explained, uh, I'm always going to be grateful to Canada for accepting me. But I think it is a the, arguably the greatest moral uh, crime committed against people to have the type of tax that we have in Canada. And especially when you add Quebec. Uh, when you add up all of the taxes income tax at the provincial level, income tax at the federal level, sales tax on any money that's left for you, property tax, a gas tax, school tax, I'm left with roughly one third of my income. So I go out, I write this book, it's my thoughts, my wisdom, my words, my ideas, and then I'm left with one third of the money. So if you say, hey, I made $100,000 of book royalties, wow, this is amazing, this is great for my retirement, oh no, I'm, I'm left with about $30,000. And so this is why I'm saying to you that uh, the current tax season is completely, uh, it, if ever I've been in a dark place, it's, it's, it's feeling so helpless at, thank you, David, it's feeling so helpless at the, the, the true thievery, right? It's, you know, it's, it's, it's the highest form of gangsterism, right? It's, it's basically a really, really nasty mafia that has you choked in every possible way that says, hey, whatever you go out and do, to better yourself, to better your students, to better society, to better popular culture, we get to keep most of the money. And it doesn't matter that you already pay more than $100,000 in taxes from your professor's salary. Anything else you do, including writing this book, it's our money. It's tough. It's not easy. And, you know, don't think that I'm not an altruistic person. Uh, I love the fact that we can help others. But we can help others by all paying a flat tax, not helping others by some of us paying 65% of our income. What do you think about social engineering? Do you have a favorite charity? Uh, I love charities that deal with you know, protection of animals. And 
and to those of you who are watching this live stream who might be vegans, uh, know I could be a, a fully committed uh, animal lover and also consume animal protein. They're not inconsistent. I think that we can consume animal protein while greatly reducing the grotesque uh, unnecessary cruelty that we impart on our animal cousins. They're not uh, commodities, they're sentient beings. Uh, and so there are all sorts of ways by which we can improve their lives, uh, you know, while still recognizing that we all can't become tofu eaters and, you know, raw celery eaters. By the way, the, the roughest folks that I've ever dealt with, rougher than Islamists, are the, the tofu brigade and the pronoun Taliban. Uh, the pronoun guys are, you might imagine, thank you so much, Jeff. Uh, but anyways, uh, you don't want to mess with the pronoun Taliban when they come after you, it, it's pretty rough. Uh, as was the case when I told the story of my wife who had interacted with a barista at a cafe. This story, by the way, is in my next book. So I had very innocently mentioned the story whereby my wife came back to see me uh, at, at our, where we were sitting at the table and she told me, you know, I felt very uncomfortable. I didn't know how to address this particular person. Uh, because they looked like they were transgender. And I wrote, oh, you know, she was frozen in fear because she didn't want to offend this person. So it, it was a story that was meant to highlight how how gentle, how polite, how caring my wife is, how compassionate she that you know, she she didn't want to offend this person. And yet uh apparently it turns out that she is mentally ill. I'm a Nazi, uh, we're transphobic, we were frozen in fear because we can't handle interacting with transgender people. And so I think there were something like 28 million views of that tweet over the next two days. And you can imagine the torrent of hate I received. And it was truly unbelievable because it was that tweet was intended to show how sensitive she is to not hurt the feelings of a transgender person. So probably the scariest people are the pronoun Taliban. Second most, uh, second scariest, definitely the Tofu Brigade. I put up two sad truth clips where I was trying to explain, thank you so much, Melissa, where I was trying to explain uh, what it, uh, the, the evolutionary roots of why we eat animal protein. And I, and I built one of those nomological networks of cumulative evidence. You know, I, I brought archeological data, anthropological data, cross-cultural data, uh, dental records, uh, anatomical data, behavioral data, all of which pointed to the fact that it is an incontestable fact that humans have evolved to eat animal protein. Uh, and the, the tofu brigade just came after me like you couldn't believe it. It was really just unbelievable because it's a form of fervor. It's a form of quasi-religion. You know, if you eat meat, you're a neo-Nazi, you are engaging in the greatest genocide and there's no equivocation. There's no nuance. There's no gray area. There's no discourse. You are evil. You are akin to, you're engaging in genocide, just like Hitler did. Thank you, Kunav, Kutur, much appreciated. So there you go. Uh, voila, let me look at some more stuff. Sorry if I can't keep up with all of the, the messages. 331. How is it that the glorious, the stupendous, the magisterial Dr. Saad goes on on his first live stream? I know it was impromptu. I know that I didn't give any lead time to people. I didn't even mention it on my social media other than providing you with the wrong link on on twitter 327 people maybe it's a typo maybe it's 327,000 people this can't make sense only 300 people are engaging 
Dr. Goodlooks, let's fix that. We love you. I love you back. You are the man, God. Keep using your amygdala. Thank you. How long did it take being on Twitter before you realized you needed to embrace your inner honey badger to deal with some people? Uh, I always knew, you know, it, 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 it's not a strategy to be a honey badger. It's just my personhood. I just, you know, I just blood rushes to me. I can't take that. I just go after you. Uh, you know, some people can see somebody getting mugged in an alley and walk away. Some people, you know, intervene. I intervene. That's just my personhood. So it's not it's not something that I strategize. It's not something that I learn to do. Just like I've got green eyes, I have a temperament of a honey badger. There you go. How do your colleagues and students at Concordia treat you? Do you ever get called out by your department chair or dean? Wow, what a question. Uh, generally speaking, my students are absolutely fantastic. Uh, I've never had really problems with students in terms of woke issues and so on. And Part of that reason is because I'm highly disciplined in creating a very clear demarcation between my role as a professor and any public engagement that I that I partake in. So I don't mix these. So I don't walk into class and ever enunciate any positions that are not directly relevant to the course that I'm teaching. And I, and I think that's great. Thank you very much. Uh, hello from Japan. Thank you, Etienne. Uh, so there's never any trouble because I don't violate those important professorial precepts. Uh, if you want to know about my ideas that may not be relevant to the courses that I teach, well, then you can follow me. You can watch some of my other lectures. But when I come into my classes and I'm teaching an evolutionary consumer psychology course, then I'm not going to talk about the blue-haired Taliban. Now, in some cases, those issues do arise. So, for example, if I'm talking about uh, that social constructivism is a is an idiotic idea because of course we are driven by biology well that's central to my work in evolutionary psychology so my ideas in the public sphere do make it to my courses but i i'm not i'm i'm not engaging in anti-woke activism or you know anti-woke discussions in my classes uh, i always create a clear demarcation and so there, there's never any of those problems thank you so much george George Kamajian means that means that you are Armenian, which means that that's pretty cool since my wife is Lebanese Armenian. Uh, yeah, so uh, in terms of administrators and colleagues at Concordia, my colleagues haven't caused me too much trouble. A few of them uh, that I didn't even know about were at Concordia posted some nasty stuff about me on Twitter. I went after them and they ran away like little girls. Uh, I can tell you that senior administrator had a conversation with me, and she, and this is what she told me. She said, "You do, you're fantastic. You're this, you're that. But you know, when you use words like imbecile or moron on Twitter when you're, uh, you know, interacting with someone, that removes all, you know." So I said, "So you're telling me that everything that I contribute is erased by the fact that I use the word moron to someone who probably spent two weeks nonstop insulting me." And the worst that I called them was moron. She goes, yes, you know, you should never use such terms. So academia is very much driven by a code of niceness, right? Be polite, be diplomatic, be nice, which of course, 99.9% .9 of the time in all contexts, I am. Now on Twitter, it's different. It's, 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 it's fight with pigs, right? So while I am polite and sweet and jovial and, uh, you know, a bullion 99.9% .9 of the time, when some folks come after me once in a while and I've had enough, and I just want to have fun, 
then if the worst that I do is called you a castrato or a moron or an imbecile, I'm doing pretty well. So overall, the main problem I have at my university is that they try to pretend that I don't exist, right? So they, yeah. So my book comes out. It's a number one bestseller around the world. They never mention it. I get a letter from Prime Minister Modi, Prime Minister of India, saying, hey, thank you. You're one of the thought leader of the world. Uh, I send it to Concordia to see if they're going to announce it. They don't. So I live in a world where I might be appreciated by everyone other than my family, family in this case, meaning my employer. So it's quite uh, uh, sad, but this is if this is the worst that it is, then fine. By the way, I did. I, I used to have a chaired professorship for 10 years, a, a university-wide prestigious professorship. Uh, when, when it was due, when it was up after 10 years, I applied for a new chaired professorship for four years, and it was always denied. And by objective metrics, there was no logic for it to be denied. But apparently, uh, I had become too uh, too well known for all of my positions. And so, you know, it's it's tough to be in academia. Let me just put it this way. It's not easy. But who cares? I'm going to pursue the truth irrespective of the consequences. We love you, Dr. Saad. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have we reached peak woke? I, you know, I think we may have, as as you've all seen, uh, we're at a point now where, uh, you know, there are some big anti-woke victories that have, have happened. So I don't know if the tide has fully turned, but we are certainly seeing some small and important victories against the woke. So hopefully this is a trend that will continue. Don't forget, folks, you can support my work through a super chat donation. Please consider doing so. Art Vendelay, how are you getting better looking every year? Jeans, <laughs> uh, weight loss, gratitude at life, even though I'm financially raped by the criminal thugs of the provincial and Canadian governments. Uh, so that's it. If you're married, make sure that your spouse doesn't hear my voice with its deep timber or watch me it's 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 a death spiral for monogamy to watch me so that's all i can say uh how do you really feel you should start streaming some games i would love to see you play so i need to be the next pewdiepie when i first found out the amount of money that pewdiepie was making i think he made collectively in all the years something like 125 million dollars by playing video games you might imagine that I didn't feel too good. Uh, what are your favorite books? Oh my goodness. Uh, so my, I actually did a few sad truth clips where I talked about some of my uh, favorite books. Uh, the one that always comes to mind because it is one that um, really served as a, an anchor for some of the anti-woke stuff is a book called Higher Superstition by uh, Levitt and Gross, or perhaps Gross and Levitt, I can't remember the order higher superstition it's a it's a tough book to read because it i mean the the vocabulary is absolutely fantastic uh, i think one of them was a mathematician one of them was a biologist and it was written in the 90s i think maybe 94 or 96 and they already pointed to a, so i i became a professor in 94 and i very quickly started you know screaming from the top of the mountain about all these parasitic ideas and i had come across their book and uh 
you know, I had really found this, this wonderful book because it was speaking to many of the things that I was feeling myself. Remember, in my scientific work, I apply evolutionary biology and evolutionary psychology to the behavioral sciences, to consumer behavior, to economic decision-making, to psychology of decision-making. And so I had already seen some of these parasitic ideas uh, in my academic work because people didn't like the idea that, you know, you would use biology to explain human behavior. And so this was already something that I was seeing. Of course, eventually the culture wars expanded to, you know, to journalism, to popular culture, to Hollywood. But the original parasitic ideas were precisely those that I was seeing in terms of the resistance to my scientific work. And so this is why, again, not to harp on this, but believe me, it's been a big existential crisis. The reason why I feel so financially raped uh, in giving all of the royalties for my book to the government for this book is because, you know, there's nothing more personal than your creation, right? And, and there's nothing more personal than a book that you write that is read by, you know, many, many people because it's, it's your neuronal firings that people are consuming. So that feels like it is so uniquely yours so that the money that comes from that, it's mine. I, I deserve this. I made that money. I wrote that book. And yet the government says, no, I take most of it. So again, not to harp on this, for those of you who are Canadian, for those of you who are Quebecers, there are better systems out there. When I hear from my friends now in Florida or Texas, will tell me the, the financial reality they face. I say, my God, just by the accident of where you live, you can either make tons of money or almost be left destitute, right? Remember, E.O. Wilson, the evolutionary biologist from Harvard, when he was, he's, a, he's an entomologist, an expert on social ants. In social ants, you've got one reproductive queen and all the worker ants are equal. So when he was asked about communism and socialism, Quebec and Canada are a perfect socialist society. So when he was asked about socialism, he said, great idea, wrong species. That's one of my favorite quotes. Why? Because it's a great idea to a species that is not hierarchical like social ants. It's not a great idea for humans. Humans are a hierarchical species. Some of us are taller, some of us are shorter, some of us are better looking, worse looking, fatter, thinner, harder working, more ambitious, less ambitious. So the idea that through equity, through a social welfare system, we constantly demonize those that are successful because it's unfair that they make more money so that we can then give it to others who don't do anything, you know, is a, is a, is a form of institutionalized slavery. Now, let me put it another way. If you were truly a slave in, in, the, in the true grotesque sense of the word, from January 1st to December 31st of every year, you're owned by your slave owner. You don't own anything. You work for the man. Well, here's the system in Canada and Quebec. From January 1st to end of July, maybe a bit into August, all it's all to the government. I start making money. I stop being a slave in August. So I'm actually a lot closer to the perfect slave. Remember, the slave is from January 1st to December 31st. I stop being a slave in August. So on the continuum of complete freedom to slavery, I am literally a lot closer to being a slave. Thank you, Dirty Mike, for your five dollars. Can I be one of your grad students? I'm an engineer, but I'll switch. Uh, of course, uh, listen, apply to, 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 to our program. We have actually a couple of really interesting programs. We have a MBA, which is the standard program, you know, that you know of the generalist degree, but we also have an MSc, Masters of Science, via the auspices of the business school. The Masters of Science, you have to write a full thesis. So 
students who work with me will be supervised by me. And so you can do a master's thesis. Of course, we also have a, a doctorate, a PhD, uh, which is, of course, much longer, you know, typically five to six years. And so, yes, please consider applying. And if there's a good fit, I'd be happy to consider your supervision. We pay 65%. I'm presuming you mean taxes. I also pay 65% when you combine all of my taxes. What worries you most about the thank you cars in depth? Truly appreciate it. Music seems to be a unique human endeavor. What's the evolutionary value of music? Fantastic question. By the way, the best Philly band was from Detroit, the Spinners. Okay, don't get me going. First of all, a couple of things here. By the way, I'm so enjoying this. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, Thank you so much for all the people who, who, sh who showed up. Hopefully this will continue to grow and be successful. Uh, my favorite kind of music is the Philly sound. Philly sound is uh, a type of soul. There are different types of soul music. For example, there's Motown soul, right? From Detroit, uh, Aretha Franklin, Smokey Robinson, uh, Marvin Gaye, uh, Diana Ross and the Supremes. Uh, then there is Memphis soul, uh, which was kind of a, a Southern soul. And then there is the Philly sound. The Philly sound, well, came out of Philadelphia. It was driven by a few producers that produced many of the top bands within Philly sound. The Stylistics, the Delphonics, the Moments, the Ebony's, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. So these are some of my favorite groups. And I've, I've always loved them. Even when I was in Lebanon, I would listen to these guys. Uh, I also love Barry White, but of course he's not from the Philly Sound. He was from Southern California, and so uh, I don't know if I, if you guys know this story, but uh, I got to meet and became friends with the lead singer of the Stylistics. Now the Stylistics is truly, you know, a historic group. You know, one of the great soul groups ever in the history of soul music, and uh, I won't share the story here, although I've shared it in other contexts. I discuss it in my next book. Uh, you know, through wonderful serendipity of life and persistence and so on, I got to meet him. He came on my show. We hung out together in Philadelphia. So here's this guy who used to sing in my ear when I was eight years old and nine years old, you know, as a young kid in 1970s in, in Lebanon, uh, who one day I was hanging out with in, in Philadelphia. He, he took me on the Philadelphia, you know, uh, walk of the Hall of Fame or whatever, you know, the stars where you could see his name and all of the other soul singers from Philadelphia. And I was getting that private tour or, you know, that, that tour with him. And it was so cool. People would come up to us. I mean, some come up to me. A lot of them were coming up to him saying, hey, I, I danced my first slow song in high school to your music and so on. It was unbelievable. Uh, so, yes, the spinners are great from Philadelphia. Uh, what is the evolutionary root of music? Well, I actually discussed this very briefly in my first book, this book, The Evolutionary Basis of Consumption. There are several evolutionary explanations for music. Uh, when you're trying to usually explain a, a, the evolutionary roots of a cultural product like music, there are usually two paths that you can take. You can either argue that that cultural product is an adaptation meaning it, it, it confers adaptive value. It confers either survival value by you adopting that cultural form or mating value, you know, reproductive advantage, or it could be an exaptation. Some of you may not have heard this word, but an exaptation is a byproduct of evolution. 
In other words, the, the form itself didn't evolve because it has adaptive value, but it's a byproduct of evolution. So for example, the color of our skeletal system is white, not because that color confers an adaptive advantage, but it's, it's a path dependent reality. Because of other engineering evolutionary solutions, that's the color, it's a byproduct of evolution. So there are both adaptive arguments for why music evolved and exaptation arguments. I won't get into it more, it's quite a technical story. I did do a sad truth clip several years ago where I used the, that distinction between adaptations and exaptations to talk about the evolutionary roots of religion. My God, we're covering lots of stuff. All right, let's see. I thought I lived in an affluent society. Okay, Dr. Sad. Oh, thank you so much. What is the evolutionary roots of schizophrenia? Wow, what an amazing question. There are some theories. Uh, rather than getting into the specific evolutionary explanation for schizophrenia, what I can tell you is that there is a whole field. Uh, it's called either Darwinian psychiatry or evolutionary psychopathology which basically utilizes the evolutionary lens to explain mental disorders. Uh, and again, you would think that clinical psychologists and psychiatrists would be well-versed in evolutionary theory. Nothing could be further from the truth. So I had on my show uh, a while ago, uh, Dr. Randy Nesse, N-E-S-S-E, -S -S -E, another great pioneer of evolutionary psychology. He's a psychiatrist by training. And his big ambition in life and his professional life has been to try to Darwinize the medical school. And again, you might, it might come to, as a surprise to you. What do you mean? Medical students don't know about evolution? Well, the answer is no, they don't. Because medical students are mechanics of the human body. So they learn the how and what. Those are called proximate explanations. They never learn about the ultimate explanations as to why a particular you know, body phenomenon has evolved to be of that form. And there are all sorts of insights that you can glean from an evolutionary understanding of the human body that you otherwise wouldn't, you know, have learned about. And so by the same logic, uh, many of these uh, mental health disorders have an evolutionary etiology. And actually, I've written several papers in medical journals where I have exactly tackled uh, these kinds of issues. Uh, so let me give you one. Obsessive compulsive disorder. So you've all heard the term OCD. Well, even though I'm not an OCD researcher, using the evolutionary lens, I wrote a paper where I argued that I could predict which types of obsessions and compulsions are more likely to be found in. Thank you so much for uh, Toab. I appreciate your super chat donation. Uh, so I I predicted that there are certain types of obsessions and compulsions that would be much more likely to happen in women, others that would be more likely to happen in men, and others that would be equally likely to happen in both sexes. And the way that I was able to generate those predictions is not so much because I was an OCD researcher, because I'm not, but it's because I certainly was an evolution expert in evolutionary theory. And so therefore, using the evolutionary lens, I could predict which types of mental health ailments in the OCD context would be more likely to happen in men and women. Of course, I apologize if I'm presuming that there is such a thing as male or female, because as the noble woman of color justice to be explained to us, she can't answer who's a woman or a man because you know she's not a biologist. So by the way, it was a complete fluke that I was able to mate with someone and have kids 
presuming that she was a woman, but I officially, I, even though I'm an evolutionist, I'm not officially a biologist. I apply evolutionary biology, but I'm not a biologist by training. So it was incredible that I was able to tell that the person with whom I had children turned out to be a woman, because otherwise I would not have known, just like our noble woman of color justice. Thank you, Flavio Diaz Miron Rodriguez. Why is it that folks from these countries have 73 names? Flavio Diaz Miron Rodriguez, mucho gracias. And don't get me going. I, it doesn't look like you come from uh, the region in Spain with the lisp. I did a clip on YouTube where I said, enough with the lisp. It's not Real Sociedad. It's Real Sociedad. Enough with the lisp. All right. Do you have a specific writing and research routine? Uh, you know, I, I feel guilty because I'm getting, I'm seeing all these fantastic questions, but I can only address a few of them at a time. Uh, well, what was the question again? Let me go back. Hold on. Uh, do you have a specific? Yes, I do. Uh, well, I do and I don't. What what I do have as a routine is a punishing discipline. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, when I'm trying to write a book and I'm trying to you know meet the deadline that the publisher sets for my book, uh, you can't write a book when you have the kind of you know. Uh, stressors that I have. You know, I have children. I'm a full-time professor. I have a research lab. I supervise graduate students. I appear in the media. I've got a YouTube channel. I, I write grants. I serve as reviewer. I mean, I do a million things. But every single day, irrespective of how I feel, irrespective of whether I feel like it or not, I make sure that, for example, I decide that I need to clear 300 words a day. Well, then no matter what, if I have to stay up till three in the morning, I clear those 300 words because otherwise I know that if I don't do that every day, I can never meet my deadline for whenever I have to submit the first draft of my book, let's say. So in terms of routine, I think my routine is driven by simply the commitment, the discipline to, to meet certain tasks and certain objectives. But within that guideline, I'm very much of a flaneur or vagabond in other words it's really as the spirit moves me look, look how i look how i did this this live stream everybody said well you know you announce it three days in advance you remind people a day before three hours before you set it up how did i do it i just got on having no clue how to do this i'm spontaneous and in a sense that spontaneity uh, also drives my daily routine because sometimes i feel like I, I really am in the mood to be creative, but I don't feel like I have the headspace to to write this, you know, this difficult passage that I'm working on on how the ancient Greeks thought about happiness. So I say, well, okay, I still want to instantiate my desire for creativity, but I'm not in the mood. I'm too tired to write today. You know what? Let me do a quick sad truth clip because that will still cater to my desire to create, but it does it in a different way. So I don't have a an exact schedule from 10 to 12, I'm going to do this. From 12 to 1, I'm going to do that. All I know is that, thank you, Meme and Shandy. Thank you, so I really appreciate it. Uh, and so that, that's how I do it. Uh, I'm, I'm very much of a vagabond, but also I'm punishing in my discipline to work hard. Can you explain the phenomenon of homophobia? Well, I can't. I mean, if I were to try to explain homophobia from an evolutionary perspective, I would be 
engaging in some speculations. What I can try to do is explain that that's I, I know that that's not what you asked, but I can try to explain what you know what is the what are the top evolutionary explanations for the existence of homosexuality? Thank you, Alex Jordan. Uh, oh, you don't have to guess what would a Gadsad merchandise mug and T-shirt do. I have a. If you go down to the bottom of you know at, uh, for any of my sad truth clips on YouTube, they, I have a merchandising store and I've got all kinds of stuff that you could buy. So I hope you do so. Uh, so to come back to the evolutionary roots of uh, homosexuality, the top explanation, there have been several that have been attempted and tested. None of them have panned out, which, by the way, shows you that evolutionary theories are perfectly falsifiable. Case in point, evolutionary explanations have been falsified for homosexuality. Thank you, Matt, for your generosity. I truly appreciate it. Uh, I just want to read... Uh, apparently he's a big fan of you you know i've seen that this gentleman is a big fan of mine and uh that's wonderful people have said that i should go on his show and so on this is uh rollo tomasi uh at some point i maybe will uh I, i'm not trying to be coy or prima donna or anything but you know i received a million invitations and it's difficult to accept everybody's but hopefully one day our paths will cross but thank you so much for your super chat contribution so to, to finish my point about the evolutionary roots of homosexuality, the top explanation comes from kin selection. So kin selection is a mechanism that explains why you would jump into the river to save three of your children, right? If, if evolution were geared to only ensuring that you survive, then you would never engage in altruistic acts that could put you in danger. But if you recognize that evolution operates at the level of the gene, and if I jump into the river with the risk of, of drowning, but I can save the packet of genes called my three children, well, to the extent that I share half of my genes with each of my children, then the evolutionary calculus would make sense that kin selection would have evolved. Now, how does that apply to homosexuality? Well, typically I extend my genes through what's called direct fitness, through re reproductive fitness. I have children, therefore I extend my genes. But inclusive fitness also includes indirect fitness, meaning that I could extend my genes by investing in those with whom I'm related. So if, when I invest in my nephews and nieces, I'm also extending my genes, hence kin selection. So the argument for the kin selection argument for homosexuality is that even though you may be strictly homosexual, meaning that you, you're not sexually fluid, you don't mate with both you know, men and women, Let's say you're you're a man who only has sex with other men. From a Darwinian perspective, it's a dead end, right? It's a Darwinian cul-de-sac. There is no, you can't reproduce. But if you recognize that you can still instantiate your inclusive fitness by investing greatly in those with whom you're related, even though they're not your children, then uh, evolution need not, uh, quote, select out homosexuality because there's still a conduit for you to extend your genes. Now, the reason why this theory has so far you know, not been uh, validated is because they tested that by looking at the average investments that, for example, homosexual uncles provide to their aunts, uh, to their nephews and nieces versus heterosexual uh, uncles. And the evidence did not seem to support the kin selection argument. So to conclude, uh, there have been several attempts to try to explain homosexuality using an evolutionary lens. 
none have fully panned out. So again, this shows you that it is completely false to think that, oh, you know, evolutionary theories are unfalsifiable. Nothing could be further from the truth. Every single hypothesis that I've ever posited, there was a clear way it would be falsified or not, right? So there's nothing epistemologically unfalsifiable about evolutionary predictions. All right, well, almost one hour, but I'm, I'm having fun. This is fantastic. Uh, all right, since you were in Hungary, is there any plans to visit Ver Serbia or other Balkan countries? You know, thank you for asking that question because uh, I wanted to actually talk briefly about Hungary. Uh, I'd always heard that uh, uh, Budapest is a stunning city, one of the most beautiful cities in the world, and boy, were they not lying. Every single corner, there is something for you to stop and marvel at from an aesthetic perspective. So the, the explosion of aesthetic appreciation is to be found even the manhole is beautifully made with metal work right the the doorknobs the, the the metal work on the on the doors of course the castles the architecture just the landscape right it's on the danube river so everywhere you turn is an aesthetic orgasm and so i truly so on that level i thought that you know hungary was absolutely stunning uh on a more you know professional related level you know hungary as many of you know is one of those countries that uh is uniquely anti-woke if only because the government uh you know seems to have read the parasitic mind and implemented every one of its uh, uh vaccines uh and so from that perspective you know i was visiting at an institute i gave i, I did three speaking engagements and it was just so liberating to be amongst crowds. Thank you, Fuhu, for your contribution. Why, why is Eminem better than Tupac? Uh, I actually can't, with all due respect, I'm not a big fan of Eminem. I prefer Tupac a bit more, but I'm also not a fan of his, so I think I can't answer that question for you. But to come back to Hungary, it was so liberating to be in uh, amongst people who just didn't seem to be part of the blue-haired Taliban. Everybody seemed to think how, you know, the West used to think maybe in the 1980s, even though some of those idea pathogens were already spreading on university campuses. So, so Hungary was fantastic, both, you know, on a personal level, the visiting, the, the, the beauty of the place, and also on a professional level, it was fantastic to, to hang out with them. Uh, the chancellor or the chairman of that institute is the right-hand person of the uh, prime minister of Hungary. Uh, and so I was able to have some, you know, high, higher level, high up conversations with folks that are, you know, politically quite powerful. So it was, it was wonderful. Will I go to other Balkans? Uh, of course, I, I'd love to. Uh, I was invited to go to Croatia. Uh, that hasn't been scheduled yet uh, because my, my book is going to come out in Croatian. Of course, the Canadian government and the Quebec government will take, you know, 53, 55% of the royalties. Uh, I was uh, invited to speak in Slovenia, uh, wasn't able to make it happen on this trip. So I'm, I'm always open. You know, I view life as a playground, as I write in my the current book that I'm finishing off. And so the opportunity to go to new places and have fun and meet people, you know, is, is very much in my wheelhouse. And so hopefully I will make it to, to the Balkans uh, someday soon. Look, the reason why I'm doing this, uh, this chat it's because it just sounded like fun. Like, how, how is it that I've yet to do this? 
And again, big shout out to Viva for having nudged me to, to do it. You know, you interact with all sorts of cool people. Scott, thank you so much. What about Tupac do you like? Uh, well, I like some of his songs. He, he's a bit annoying how he was, you know, the super tough thug and he had to pay with his life for his thuggery. Uh, but, you know, some of the beats struck me as nice. Uh, Eminem seems like a, a heavy metal version of rap. He just, he annoys me, right? There, there's no soul to his music, to his beats. He's just, bah, 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 bah. he's annoying. He's just a little, little schmuck. Uh, does Trump ever talk about you in all caps? <laughs> well, here's the thing. I was just invited. Just before I started this live stream, I had to turn down. I mean, how cool is it that Dr. Goodlooks can turn down a red carpet event with Donald Trump? You've made it in life. Not financially, because remember, the royalties of the parasitic mind belong to the government. Not to me. I don't. I don't have a right to my book. Thank you, Chris. Uh, thank you, Cruising and Music. But, but how cool is it that I've gotten to a place in life where I can have the temerity, the audacity to say, "Hey, you know what? It doesn't really fit with my schedule to make it to this uh, red carpet premiere." Uh, I, I, I am actually. I, I don't know if I could say I'm friends with, but. Certainly, we follow each other on Twitter. We've communicated privately. Uh, his son, Donald Trump Jr., and I have communicated. I know that makes me a neo-Nazi uh, and a white supremacist. But uh, And I know that Donald Trump is certainly aware of my work because I think at some point he had retweeted some conversation I'd had with uh, Glenn Beck. Uh, so, But I don't know uh, Donald Trump personally. But I think, actually, he'd be a hoot. Uh, I think he'd have to be the top dog in the room. He'd probably monopolize the conversation. But my feeling is that, you know, if you're going to hang out with Donald Trump, you probably would end up liking him. Uh, so that's that. Do you have a favorite cologne? Uh, I do. I think, uh, I don't know what it's called. Uh, I know that my wife has bought me a few times, but I could tell you an evolutionary story about colognes. So the MHC, the Major Histocompatibility Complex, is a set of genes that captures your unique immuno, immunogenic profile, your, your, your immune system. And so it turns out that, the, you know, if you, if you take one perfume and you put it on one person, it smells nice on their skin. And if you put that exact same perfume on another person, you know, their partner might say, hey, this doesn't smell good on you. And now we know the scientific reason for it because it turns out that depending on your MHC, different perfumes will either agree with it or not. And the argument being that certain perfumes will amplify the odor of your unique MHC. So when, when, when someone says this perfume smells nice on you, whereas this other one doesn't, there's real genetic level explanation for that reality. Boom. My God, I'm covering so much stuff. I hope to have other things to talk about in future live chats. Don't worry. Of course I will. There's an infinite well of wisdom in this brain. Uh, all right, Dr. Saad, you have mentioned you are an atheist. What is your wife's religion? How have you both raised? Thank you, Bohan. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, or is it Boyan, I think maybe would be the right pronunciation. I'm not sure. Uh, look, both my wife and I are uh, atheists. We're, we're both uh, Lebanese. Uh, we're not... You know, we're not hostile to religion. If anything, I, I won't speak for her. 
I recognize the value that religion offers people. So from a functional perspective, I completely understand that the default value of humanity is to be believers. The problem for me arises from the fact that as a as a deontological person, as a in terms of kind of an you know, I'm a purist when it comes to the truth. I know that there are many things that are taught in religion, ir irrespective of which religion you come from. Thank you, Mystic Bunny Lady. Truly appreciate it. Uh, I'll try to answer your question, genetic memory, in a second. Uh, but so many are coming by. Uh, so I, th there's so much in religion that is, you know, demonstrably false. Right? The, the religion makes certain claims, whether it be about demonstrable scientific realities or you know moral codes of conduct that are grotesquely false that could not be any more false and so from that perspective to the extent that you know you have to take a leap of faith to be a religious person uh, it's hard for me to be that but i truly do understand the the value that it offers us actually in the consuming instinct in this book i have a whole chapter where i talk about the marketing of hope thank you roswell 1983 uh so so i'm not I'm I'm not hostile to religion in the sense, oh, you know, uh, religious people are stupid for believing in religion. It's that uh, I think religion has a great uh, importance in terms of fulfilling certain needs for humans. Look, we are the only animal that we know of that is aware of its looming mortality, right? But, you know, when you have high cholesterol, you can go see your physician. He or she can give you a statin, and boom, six months later, your cholesterol levels have normalized. Well, there is this one... Uh, problem that we haven't found a pill for. It's called mortality. And regrettably, because of our prefrontal cortex, we know of our mortality, right? And therefore, we need to find a solution. Well, guess what? There is no other solution other than religion. Hey, believe in my narrative and you will live on forever. There is a party after this. This is only a temporary place. Well, that's a pretty nice thing to believe in. You mean I'm going to see my dead dog Roscoe again and my favorite Uncle Joe? That's great. So there are certain brutal realities in life that are very difficult to digest if you are not religious so i get it i get why people are religious but i'm also a dogged defender of the truth and to the extent that there are all sorts of falsehoods that are promulgated in religion then you might understand why i might attack those elements of religion whilst fully understanding that the default value of people is to believe okay how is it that some of the living okay if goldfish had one uh, well, speaking, you, you mentioned goldfish. Uh, Robert Sapolsky, the, the wonderful neurobiologist from Stanford, uh, wrote a great book, which I talk about in my latest book, which I guess will be out next year. Uh, the book is titled Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Now, what is he talking about there? Exactly what we're talking about here, right? We know of our, we know of our past. Someone asked a question about memory. We, we are haunted by our past. And we are terrified of our future. And this is why you have the edict of live in the moment, right? Of carpe diem, live, live for now, right? Uh, seize the day. Zebras don't get ulcers because they truly live in the moment. They don't say, you know, this sucks. Yesterday, my brother was eaten alive by, by hyenas. And this sucks because tomorrow my little uh, offspring might be devoured by uh, lions. It lives in the moment. It, it grazes on the grass. If it sees a lion coming or smells them, it instantiates its flight mechanism. 
If it outruns the lions, it lives another day. And if it doesn't, it's goodbye. And it's, it, it's not worrying about the future. So in, in his brilliant book, what Robert Sapolsky was arguing with his just with his wonderfully telling title, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, is that they are not succumbing to, to the temporal hauntings that we succumb to, right? We are haunted by our past. We are haunted by our future. And therefore, you know, we're stuck. Uh, so there you have it. Uh, if you get U.S. residency citizenship, uh, this is Kickjack. Thank you very much for your contribution. Puerto Rico has special tax. You know, I got to tell you, Puerto Rico doesn't sound like a bad place because uh, we're from Lebanon. I've lived in Southern California. That's my second home. And so any place that has beaches is the place where Dr. Goodlooks has to be. So Puerto Rico is certainly on the list. Uh, but, you know, the two most ones that... The two ones that are you know most on my radar these days for obvious reasons are of course texas and uh, florida by the way uh, in two weeks i'll be at uh, university of texas austin if any of you are in austin I, I don't know how many of my speaking engagements there i have a couple of them are open to the public i think they should be open to the public if they are i'll try to if i get any information about where they are which room and so on you can come uh, it'd be nice to say hello uh I'm going, so I think my first set of talks at UT Austin will be on May 9th. And then uh, on May 10th, I'm doing Joe Rogan. And there might be something else on May 11th. So anyways, so you got May 9th, May 10th. I got a whole bunch of stuff happening in Austin. So hope to see you there. Uh, it's, uh, all right, get an extreme high blood pressure. I don't know what this is all about. She's a Zoroastrian atheist. I guess I lost the whole part here. I have to run. Uh, see you, Ninja Kitty. I'm looking for other questions. Uh, why does Rogan use bent pixels to silence smallers? I have no clue what that means. Sorry, can't help you there. Uh, any reasons why Why would we, the Greeks, invented and studied pure mathematics? Well, so here's a, here's a quick story about the ancient Greeks. Uh, my good friend, uh, some of you may know him, Nassim Talib, uh lebanese author also some think he's a bit acerbic a bit cantankerous uh once joked with me and again this is something that i discuss in my next book you better all get it you better all pre-order it when it comes out because how else could the government steal all of my royalties if you don't buy my books i mean i have to work hard to make sure that they get 65 percent of my royalties come on we have to help justin trudeau how else is he going to go on his uh, jet skiing trips but anyways uh what was i saying why was i talking about this what was i saying somebody put this i'm losing my train of thought what was i about to talk about i asked a question about your super chat buffer i asked it what do you think about i have no idea what that means what max weber's model of state or oh, weber uh it's a bit heavy for now i'll come back to it uh, sorry guys I'm, I'm getting overwhelmed i'm trying to cover everybody Oh, Talib Greeks. Yes, thank you. So Talib had uh, uh, teased me. He said, you know, I don't understand. I, I love your stuff, Gad. I really respect your work as an academic, as a scientist, as a behavioral scientist. But I don't know what, what is it that you could be studying? Because I, thank you, J uh, Jake, for your contribution. What is it that you're studying in psychology? The ancient Greeks have already discovered all that there is to discover in psychology about human nature. And you know, I thought he was being a bit, uh, you know, he was just being jocular and so on. But now when I was writing my current book and I delved deep into, you know, the ancient Greek treaties, 
especially as relating to happiness and how to live the good life. Now, sometimes I'd have this, you know, brilliant independent insight, which, you know, I thought I just came up with this. And then I'd go and say, F, Epictetus already said this 2,300 years ago. I'm hardly the first one to have come up with this. And so that came up on several occasions where, you know, I would be putting together this. So I'll give you an example. The, the insight about uh, how uh, there are some precepts in, in, in that the Stoics introduced that is exactly a precursor to CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And so I was talking about this recently with one of my good friends who's a clinical psychologist, and I was thinking about this, and I wrote a whole bunch of stuff. I was thinking, my God, this is really insightful stuff that I'm coming up with. Well, those bastards were already talking about it. So, so I don't know what it was with the ancient Greeks, but it's called the Greek miracle for a reason. I think it was just an ethos that they had of you know how to live life, a cerebral life, right? Philosoph in Arabic, philosopher. Like the PhD is doctor of philosophy, right? The, 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 the love of knowledge, right? The, the pursuit of knowledge. They built their whole life around that. We build our lives around TikTok and Instagram. So, you know, the ethos that drives your culture is either going to create Socrates's or, or uh, Kim Kardashian's. All right. What is your plan B if Canada doesn't work out? And how long do we wait to see the light? My plan B is... Get the hell out of here as soon as I can so that I can live life knowing that I won't give another cent of my money, of my thoughts, of my words, of my books to absolute criminal thieves who, right? Remember, Margaret Thatcher said socialism is great. You know, you, it's, it's wonderful until you run out of other people's money. It, it's, it's, it's morally a crime against human dignity, right? Because it says, we are going to institute a mechanism of legal thievery, right? Your personal agency, your entrepreneurship is not yours. It's ours. At least it's 50%, 60%, 70% ours. We give you the freedom to keep 20, 30, 40%. That's not a sustainable system. And it always ends up by failing. If I compare the services that we used to have in Quebec you know, 40 years ago when I first moved here to today, it's night and day because the system eventually crashes. It's a Ponzi scheme. So it starts off with all the utopian fervor, but eventually it cannot sustain itself. But the problem is I only have one life to live. And so if for 20, 30, 40 years, you're, you're gang raping me financially, I, I don't have a do-over. And so, you know, I'm at an age now where I'm in my 50s, it's time to move. So my plan B is, find any way to get the hell out of here. Will you talk to Nicholas Fuentes? I have no idea who that is, so I can't, I don't know, I don't know how to answer that. Gad, Gad is 1A, but okay. Anyways, you've scrolled up. Uh, you deserve to live in a lily pond. I don't know what that means. Bonsoir de Paris, bonsoir. Ah, est-ce que vous aimeriez que je vous parle en français? Yeah, my God, what a sexy accent. Taxation is theft. It is, hello, professor, you are a research superstar. What do you suggest? What do you suggest for working after graduation? I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a vague question. It depends what your area of expertise is. It depends on your discipline. So I, I can't say. What I can tell you, and it's, it's going to sound like a cliche, uh, I talk about this in my next book, uh, one of the best ways to either be miserable in life or be very happy is to be in a profession that you truly love, to wake up every day kind of rubbing your hands in anticipation of the looming day. 
I'm doing this today. Yes, there's been you know wonderful super chat contributions, and it's still open. Please consider contributing. I'm spending an hour and 15 minutes with you guys. Uh, yes, of course, there's a small monetary. I might make 100 bucks from this. But believe me, if I go do consulting, I'll charge a lot larger. But I enjoy it. It's fun. I'm connecting with people who appreciate my work and so on. So do something not that is a response to market conditions, right? I mean, don't become an accountant because there are great jobs for uh, graduates of accountancy. Rather, you know, is, is, is accountancy something that you're passionate about? If yes, do it. So the best advice I can offer you is make sure to find something that you're passionate about. I, I know you've heard this before, but it really is something that you need to instantiate in your life. One of the best ways for me to be happy is to always be doing something that I love. For example, if if I've got three administrative meetings in a day, you know, I'm ready to, to kill myself because I can't stand that shit, okay? On the other hand, put me in a place where I create. I create a YouTube clip, I create, I write a book, I'm, I'm, writing, I'm working on a paper, I'm just giddy like a little kid. Stop spamming, spamming you goofball. I don't know what that means. Uh, hence the lampooning. I don't know what that means. Hello, Dr. Saad. What's your favorite film? Oh, okay. Let's talk about this. What's my favorite film? I don't know if I could pick one, but off the top of my head, here are some big ones that come to mind. 12 Angry Men, the original. Now, I first saw this movie when I was an MBA student. It was in an organizational behavior course where we were learning about group dynamics. Now, 12 Angry Men, for those of you who don't know, it's about 12 men who are seated in a deliberation room. They're a jury, and they're deliberating whether they should put this young kid to death for murder. 11 of the 12 vote, say, let's put him to death. One person says, wait a minute, let's talk about this. And that one person is Henry Fonda. The whole movie happens just as a dialogue in a room. They never leave that room. But the dialogue is so poignant, it's so powerful, that you're just transfixed for two hours. Now, of course, it had a lot of you know, psychological insights. That's why we, I learned, you know, I watched the movie as part of an MBA class. Uh, but it's just unbelievable. It really is unbelievable. And I don't, I don't want to give up the ending if you want to watch it, but you can probably guess what happens. There's this incredible group dynamics that takes place where that one person is able to at least make the other people rethink their positions. You know, most people, once they're anchored in a position, it's very difficult to get them to to move away from that position. Most people don't have the epistemic humility to say, okay, I've got new evidence, I'm gonna change my mind. And so you watch here the, the process by which this one lone wolf is able to interact with each of these. So I think by far 12 Angry Men is the movie and the original, don't watch the remake, watch the one from the 1950s, I think, all fantastic actors. Uh, another great one, Shawshank Redemption a movie that I actually mentioned very briefly when they talk about hope in the movie. Uh, a bit of a dark movie, you know, the, the, the rape stuff, the, the sexual assault in prison, kind of rough to watch. But, you know, there is a hopeful message. There is kind of the, the you know, the, the beauty of the human spirit to maintain hope. So Shawshank Redemption, absolute classic. I love Silence of the Lambs, unbelievable movie. I love Bronx Tale uh, with Robert De Niro, but in this, this case, Robert De Niro plays kind of the, the hapless father who's not a mafia boss, whereas Chas Palminteri is the ma mafia boss who's kind of taking over 
uh, Robert De Niro's son and taking him as a protege. Amazing movie. Of course, the Godfather movies are fantastic. Thank you, Alex. Good evening, Dr. Sad. I've been a big fan since you first know. You'll be making an appearance on Ed Dutton's show and vice versa. Uh, I don't think I'm familiar with Ed Dutton, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm always open to talking to people. If it's a good show, why not? Thank you so much for your contribution, Alex. I appreciate it for your kind words. Uh, uh, Godfather is a great movie. I, I think you meant to write Godfather, but of course I think you meant. And no, I just saw Star Wars. At the risk of losing this person as a fan, I despise Star Wars. I remember, uh, I think maybe the first or second time that I went on Dave Rubin's show, he asked me, are you a Trek, uh, is it Trekkie? Or Star, like a Star Trek person or, is, or a Star Wars, uh, a Star Trek or a Star Wars person? And I said, well, frankly, Dave, I detest both. And he was he was baffled. How could you not like this stuff? I'm not a science fiction guy. I'm a, you know, I, I like real, real things, real characters. I, I don't have that kind of fantasy module with, you know, neon guns and so on. I, I detest that. And it's not because I'm now in my 50s. I hated it when it came out when I was 12. So I, I detest that stuff. Here's another of my all-time favorite movies. Some of you might think it's, quote, a chick flick. I think it's fantastic. Moonstruck. I despise Cher for her other antics, but in that movie, I think 1987, Moonstruck, unbelievable. So Moonstruck, 12 Angry Men, Shawshank Redemption, uh, Godfather, Bronx Tale. Uh, what other movies are there? There's, uh, oh, All About Eve, 1950 movie with uh, Betty Davis, unbelievable. By the way, a few years ago, this is before we had kids, my wife and I had decided to go to the AFI, uh, American Film Institute, to look at their ranking of 100 movies and just systematically go through all 100 and, uh, you know, invite people over for dinner. The Godfather's it's pretty cool, huh? Uh, and, and we'd invite people and then we could watch the movies. So a few of those movies that we watched, you can watch it and say, oh, God damn, I can completely understand why that movie is on that list. Others left me baffled. You know, I would say things like, this might be the shittest movie I've ever seen in my life. How is it number seven? So an example of a great, another great one is The Apartment with Jack Lemmon. Fantastic. Another fantastic one, uh, Glengarry Glen Ross. Another one of those dialogue movies. It's, it's, it's like filmed as though it's a play. Kevin Spacey, Al Pacino, Insane Alec Baldwin, uh, Jack Lemmon. Unbelievable. Tell me, do you, do you guys agree with this? Yes, Glengarry Glenn Ross. David Mamet. You know what? David Mamet is a guy that I would love to have on my show. I think we'd have a fantastic conversation. I've thought about inviting him. I don't have a direct access. I, I don't know who he is. I don't know his people. But that's a guy that I think I would really love to have. One of the things that interests me about you know, my, you know, the, my show is to try to invite people that are great as creators, but in domains outside of academia, right? So for example, I'm interested in knowing about the creative process for a painter or a chef or a screen, uh, you know, screenwriter, a screenplay uh, guy, uh, because their creative process is undoubtedly different than, than my creative process when I'm writing, you know, the parasitic mind. And so that, that conversation is about what is the mechanism by which you create is something that I, mean, I would love to have a whole series 
on my show where I tackle that. And so David Mamet would be a, a perfect manifestation of someone that I would like to discuss these types of things with. What's your favorite TV show? Wow, what a fantastic question. Oh, thank you, Adam. You're cool too. I appreciate that. Oh, Rogan had Mamet on. Hit him up. Oh, really? Rogan had Mamet on? Okay, you know what? I will. I just communicated with Rogan today, so I will I will definitely ask him. Although I always feel uncomfortable asking, you know, friends, hey, could you connect? Because I, I don't like when people do it to me. You know, people go, hey, Gad, Gad, can you connect me with Joe? And I'm always, I always feel uncomfortable because, you know, for all the, the reasons that you might expect. But yeah, uh, what's my favorite television show? Uh, I'm not one into uh, dramas, you know, the, you know, whatever, uh, those medical shows or, you know, the cop shows. I, I, I hate all that stuff. I'm very much of a documentary guy and a sports guy. I, you know, I like to watch sports. I like to watch documentaries. Thank you, Scott. I really appreciate. Uh, can you let's improve your patriotism? Okay, I'll I'll try to talk about this if if I remember. But thank you for your contribution, Scott. Uh, I used to love early Cheers, early when Diane was there. So this is when I was in high school, if you can believe it. So the first three four years of Cheers was were fantastic. Seinfeld is the type of show that when you watch it, even though you've seen every show 987,000 times, somehow you can still watch it yet again. It's kind of like chips. You know, chips are bad for you, but you just you can't stop eating them. Uh, I'd have to say Seinfeld. Uh, what other shows? Yeah, I can't. Nothing else comes to mind. You know, Sesame Street, I've never watched it. Uh, what else we got? Rogan's Mammoth interview was terrific. Okay, you know what? I'll, I'll check it out. I remember Rhoda. Wow, Rhoda, nineteen seventies. Uh, I wasn't. I didn't watch much of it, but since we're gonna go back to then, here's one of my favorite shows, All in the Family, which of course could never be done today because you know he's such a racist. This is Archie Bunker. Uh, another one that was kind of uh, emblematic of my childhood, Three's Company. One of the things that I love as a father is to re-experience things that I that I experienced first as a child, but through the eyes of my children. God damn, you're getting to know me in a completely new way today. I think we're due for some super chats, people. Go to that thing and let's make sure that we can allow Dr. Saad to swallow the financial rape that he will face when he writes a ridiculous check to Justin Trudeau for the royalties of the parasitic mind. Help me navigate that a bit better but three's company my kids discovered it through me now i watch it with them and it's absolutely terrific to relive moments that i experienced when i was 13 and 14 with my own children so three's company would definitely be on that list is there anything else that i can think sanford and son fantastic love it i agree now i don't know if all of the shows that I seem to be mentioning are from my childhood because I'm being nostalgic about my childhood, but I don't think so. I think the writing then, because of course you didn't, you weren't shackled by political correctness, allowed you to, to do, to write stuff that was, that was meaty, that was beefy, that was real. That was, that was life is, is complex. It's, it's nuanced. It has ugliness and beauty. Whereas today it's all, visual diabetes it's garbage right because you can't say anything you've got to have the transgender person you've got to have the the seven people of different skin use 
And so you can't watch this stuff because you'll get diabetes at how saccharine, how, how sweet it all is. So I think most of the television shows today are pure garbage. Now we know what, what, by what means the government assaulted you. They didn't assault me. They raped me. They actually made me feel so desperate. I, I, I truly, for the past few days, I had lost my complete zest for life. I told my wife, I feel truly desperate. I, I want to jump off a building because how could it be that they can completely take everything from you? You know, you look at your bank account, you go, Hey, look, we've got some savings. We can maybe put a down, a down payment to a house in Florida. And then my wife comes and says, Oh no, you're going to pay it all in tax because Justin Trudeau is, you know, your partner when you write your book. Thank you, Patrick Peace, for your contribution. Is there any conservative political strength in Quebec these days? Not too much. Will you ever run for political office? Well, believe me, I've been approached by some very, very, uh, you know, senior people in, in, in politics in Canada to run for all sorts of reasons because of, you know, I don't want to speak of myself, but I truly think that I would be useless as a politician. And I, I think you... For those of you who know me, you probably can surmise why, because I'm pathologically honest, because I'm a straight shooter. So all of the traits that you need to navigate the political minefields, I don't possess those qualities. So while I can say, I can be naive and say, you know, people will respect me for my brain, and you know, I'm someone who I, I think is you know affable. I've got a personality and so on. So of course, I'm a man of the people. I don't think that I would survive three minutes within the political minefields because I'm, you know, I'm I'm not duplicitous. I don't lie. I'm not a bullshitter. I'm not a cheater, uh, you know. And so, I, I I don't think there's a mechanism by which my running for political office will result in anything other than a bullet in my head, self-inflicted. So, regrettably, I know my strengths and I know my weaknesses, and unfortunately. Uh, all of my strengths as a person would be considered weaknesses in, in politics. So I'm afraid it won't happen. Yep, politics is a heavy theater. I agree. Anti-racist educator. <laughs> What's your favorite dystopian novel? I I'm, I'm trying to think about a novel. I, I guess I won't answer novel, but I'll answer dystopian film. The Mad Max movies well, were amazing. God would love the dark humor and satire. I actually curb your enthusiasm. I, I look. I like curb your enthusiasm, but his kind of uh, Jewish whining is getting to me. And of course, I can say that because I'm Jewish, right? Only only fat people can talk about other fat people. Only black people can criticize black people, and only Jewish people can say that the Jewiness of of Larry David is getting a bit on my nerve. This kind of whiny affectation. Uh, the first couple of seasons, I can take it, and now I run away when I hear his endless. Jew whining. Mad Max 2 is the best, I agree. Uh, why do 2% of the population make up 100%? Call me Abby or Norm or that. How are you feeling about Romanian Canada? Given that? Okay, well, I kind of already addressed that. I'd like to get the hell out of Canada. Uh, but, oh, patriotism question, if you please. Uh, what was the question again, Scott? Was it how do I maintain a sense of patriotism? Thank you, Jello Squad, for your contribution. Uh, much appreciated. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not. It's not so much that I'm patriotic to Canada. I'm patriotic to Canadian values, the old Canadian values. Of course, our superlord uh, Justin Trudeau told us that there is no such thing as Canadian values. We are a post-nation country. We don't. We don't have Canadian values. 
but the, the the Canadian values to which I emigrated to from Lebanon, uh, I am patriotic to to those values. Uh, I'm not patriotic to the socialist ethos, but I'm I'm patriotic to you know the idea of uh, living in a pluralistic society where you know people. Yeah, yes, there is a stereotype of Canadians being nice, and and I think that stereotype is is true uh, on average. You know, Canadians you know are nice. Uh, I love the fact that I live in a place that is truly multicultural in the sense of, you know, we're, we're both French speaking and English speaking. Thank you, Ron. I appreciate it. I enjoy your hiding under the table series. You know, I get stopped on the street probably as as often for people like this. So it shows you that humor and satire can be just as powerful as the more highbrow stuff. But yeah, I'm 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 patriotic to to the Canada as we once knew it rather than the Canada of today. The Canada of today is is truly a woke dystopian hell. Now, of course, not in every interaction, but at the governmental level, at the academic level, and you know, at all of the engines that drive the culture, you know, Canada is absolutely unbearable. And of course, it is manifested best by the the walking manifestation of every idea pathogen that I cover in the parasitic mind, Justin Trudeau. I mean, he is truly grotesque. I don't think he is grotesque because he is an inherently you know, or an innately diabolical per person. I, I'm not trying to be charitable to him, but I truly don't think that he's, you know, innately evil. I th thank you, Amstra, for that contribution. Uh, I think it's because he's been inculcated with all of those woke ideas as part of his education, and so because he is rudderless, because he he is void of a functioning brain, he truly becomes this parasitized engine of woke bullshit. Uh, but Bad ideas have consequences. So, for example, now in Canadian universities, you have open discrimination. If you are not a woman, a transgender woman, a non-binary person, or a two-spirit person, you can't apply to this engineering job, professorship. I mean, that's insane. How is that legal? Well, it's legal under the auspices of diversity, inclusion, and equity. So you can legally discriminate against a whole swath of people based on immutable traits under the guise of it's you're being progressive so there you have it so so i'm not sure that i'm as patriotic to canada today as i once was but as i said i will forevermore be patriotic to um to the fact that canada opened their arms for us which by the way is one of the reasons why i get upset when people what, you know, when I attack the idea of open borders, that it's insane, and, and someone tries to lecture me about the value of immigration, I, I tell them, yeah, I, you don't need to lecture me. I, I know the value of immigration. I'm the product of immigration. I would have I would have had a bullet in my head somewhere in Lebanon or been decapitated if it weren't that some country decided to let us in. So I appreciate the value of a sane, measured uh, immigration policy. But opening your door to everybody, even to folks who swear that they despise every foundational value of your host society is maybe not the best policy moving forward all right what else call me abby or norm don't know what that means uh good day elron humperdick uh nice name ukraine thanksgiving okay will you will be reading your will you be reading your new audiobook your your humor and wit is unique to you thank you look uh the number one criticism that I've received uh, regarding the parasitic mind, if, 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 if perhaps the only you know ubiquitous criticism is why didn't I read the audiobook? And maybe 
that criticism was, uh, you know, promulgated because uh, on my last appearance on, on Joe Rogan, he said to me on, during the show, hey, you're crazy. Why don't you read it? And so on. And given the reach that he has, that kind of galvanized many people to write to me, to chastise me for not having read it. I didn't not read it because I was too lazy to do so. I actually volunteered to read the book, precisely recognizing that people, you know, have formed a bond with me. They know my voice. These are my stories with my humor, with my words. And so I get it. But, uh, oh, thank you, Scott. Uh, but uh, it's the audio publisher that decided that they have in-house narrators that they'd like to Look, I want it to be remunerated. It takes, by the way, for those of you who don't know, it takes about a week's worth of full-time work, about eight hours a day for a whole week to actually read a book of the size of the parasitic mind. So I calculated how many hours that is. I asked for a particular fee, which wasn't un unreasonable. And they said, no, we're just going to go with one of our in-house narrators. So it was their decision to decide to go with the narrator who, from what I've heard, did a good job. I mean, I didn't, I didn't listen to the audiobook. Uh, so, you know, now that I've gotten all this feedback from people, I will certainly be more insistent in asking the audio publisher of my next book to allow me to read it. But the, the final decision is up to them. Just like, for example, the, the decision of the book cover, uh, while it could be consultative, they could say, hey, do you like this cover or so on, ultimately, the promotion and marketing of the book is really within the purview of the publisher. You know, my contribution is the content. The financial remuneration goes to Justin Trudeau. Uh, but all of these decisions uh, are really, in a sense, outside my purview. All right, what do you think of IDW? Yeah, let, me, let me tell you a quick story about IDW. Probably the number one trolling that I've received in all of my life has been one that was so silly. So several years ago, Barry Weiss had written an article on, uh, I think it was maybe New York Times, where she, she had mentioned a whole bunch of IDW people. And so you know how, you know my humor, so I I, I jump in and you know, it's I, I say it with a complete smile on my face, I'm being playful, I say, hey, Barry Weiss, do, do you think maybe you missed some you know gorgeous Lebanese evolutionary psychologist on your list of, because you had to mention me. And so, you know, if you just read my tweets, I'm being playful, like, hey, you know, it, it's, it's kind of my full, full aggrandizing, right? Like when I, when I put a photo of me next to a beach and I say majestic, gorgeous, stunning, and the beach is also nice, right? So, so my haters, my three or four haters will take that to mean as though I'm being narcissistic, but it's full aggrandizing. I'm being playful. If anything, many times I'm self-deprecating and so on. So anybody who knows me, knows that it's the exact opposite of you know me trying to show off. I'm being playful. I'm being an idiot, right? So in this case, when it came to the IDW, I'm like, hey, Barry Weiss, you think you maybe you forgot somebody? You know, maybe somebody who who was talking about these things while all the other people in your list were in diapers, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm just trolling her. I'm having fun. So all my haters decided that I had lost my mind. I had become unhinged. I was close to suicide. I, I'm never going to recover. I didn't. I had no clue who Barry Weiss was at the time. Uh, just somebody had shared that article and had noted that I hadn't been mentioned in it. So I decided to troll her. So IDW, many of the people in the IDW, I despise. So if anything, I don't want to be associated with the IDW. Now, there are some folks in the IDW that I highly respect and who are friends of mine. But there are others that I think are complete 
utter charlatans. And no, don't write here who are they. Well, someone just mentioned some. I won't say anything. I guess some of you already know my views on Sam Harris. Look, Sam and I were friends. Sam and I have gone to dinner. We've communicated many times in the past. Of course, I supported many of his positions. He's invited me on his show. I mean, I can't, I can't say that we were the best of friends, but, you know, we knew each other. What happened with Sam is, and, and me is that I have a code of conduct whereby if, if I think that somebody is espousing bullshit, but if I know them, I'm a bit more gentle because it's, a, it's the code of conduct of, you know, being the protocol of friendship, being hospitable. You don't, you know, you don't go after friends. But then I'm also torn because I'm also a purist when it comes to truth. So then I start thinking, but if I don't go after this guy for being a spreader of bullshit, am I being inauthentic? And so for about four or five years, when Trump, when the four years when Trump was uh, president, and Sam, you know, went went insane in a way that not even my satire could capture. Right? I mean, my satire could be grandiose, could be prophetic. Well, he was outdoing my satire. With his, you know, Trump is going to usher nuclear holocaust. Trump was going to tank the economy. Trump was going to, you know, it's going to institute martial law. There's going to be no more democracy. This is all coming out of Sam. Every single show that Sam had a guest on, he would link it to Donald Trump. So if he had a dentist on, uh, but 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 uh, doctor dentist uh, cavities, they're due to Trump, right? I mean, there were no cavities before Trump, correct? Isn't that true? That's a fact, right? So. I just found them so insanely unhinged. And what started pissing me off, I, I despise hypocrisy. So if from this side of your mouth, you are the Malibu meditator, namaste, hmm, meditation, and you are the man of reason, and you know you speak very slowly because you're so profound, but then from this side of your mouth, you're hardly the meditator, you're completely unhinged, you're completely unreasonable, that fisser starts pissing me off. So after four years of being polite and being quiet, I decided to troll him a few times, but in a very, again, playful way. You know, I hid under the table. You know, I did a couple of these clips. So he could have gotten back to me and said, ha ha, God, nice troll. You're making fun of me, you know. He decided to kind of attack me publicly. You know, are you ever, you're such an unserious person. Yeah, right. Yeah. So when I'm giving talks at staff, so the professor of 28 years, is not serious, but the bullshitter in Malibu is the serious thinker. Okay. But secondly, he unfollowed me. Now, again, people thought, oh, God, Sad, he's so petty. He's so unhinged because Sam didn't follow him. You're morons if you think. I mean, do you think I, I stay up at night and go, you know, I've got a gorgeous wife. I've got wonderful kids. I've got a great life. But that moron Sam Harris is no longer following me. I might as well commit harakir. No. What pissed me off is, again, code of conduct. When we are friends and we know each other, I mean, short of you being found out that you're a pedophile, I'm probably not going to unfollow you because I have a code of friendship that I respect. When you unfollow me, that violates that code, right? Because it, it right? I, mean, I don't care. But so, so Sam Harris struck me as a petty person who was inauthentic. And so, yes, you can say that... Uh, I, I view Sam with some derision. But now let me tell you something. I'm a big man. If tomorrow he were to come to me and say, hey, you know what, Gad, let's end this bullshit. Why don't you come on my show? Let's talk it out. I would say, no problem. Let's do it. So again, I am authentic to a fault. I don't modulate. I don't say something or not say something for branding. 
issues. Sam, for example, told me he doesn't invite certain guests because it might harm his brand. That to me is what a castrato is. That's what someone who doesn't have a spine, who doesn't have testicles, that's how. I've had people on my guests that could only harm my brand image, but I don't give a shit because I want to speak to you. Let's see if we can have a good conversation. So that's why I think that Sam is a little punk girl. God is keeping the hitch slap alive. I am the God slap. I, we call it, I call it the God smack, but yeah. By the way, Hitchens is someone that I, I greatly admired uh, precisely because he was the epitome of a honey badger. He didn't suffer fools gladly, right? right? Sam is this little girly girl, the Malibu meditator. I don't want to talk to this one because it's bad for my image because when I go sipping lattes in Malibu, I, I don't want to speak to this guy because it'll be bad for my brand. Hitch just bites off the head of a cobra so he can relax. I respect that. I like guys like that. I'm attracted to guys like that. Guys or girls, I'm, that those are personas that shape the world, not little equivocators. Sam Harris is an intellectual pretender. Well, there you go. Sam beefed with uh, Travis Pengburn. Uh, oh, yes, I remember that story. Uh, I remember that story. Oh, he did have Charles Murray. He did have Charles Murray on, but he kept saying that it was a very dangerous move and he was very worried and it has harmed him and he deserves a medal because he had the courage. I had Charles Murray on. I thought he was fantastic. He was a lovely guy. You should watch our chat, by the way. I think Charles Murray is fantastic. And I don't need to apologize for having had a chat with him. Manessa, David, thank you so much for your contribution. Really appreciate it. God would burn Hitch, confirmed. Well. I'm no slouch, let's put it that way. Uh, hi, Rebecca Weinstein. Question. Guys, we probably ended, I can't believe it's almost been two hours. Let's go for another 15 minutes if you don't mind. And I don't, oh, actually, I know how to end it. I just have to press end stream. I hope you've so far enjoyed this as much as I have. We have 306 people. Hopefully, this will grow tenfold, 20-fold in the next while. I did this, as I said, at spur of the moment. So thank you for everybody who's shown up. Dear Mr. Saad, what is the favorite place you have ever visited? Fantastic question. <laughs> Dancing hyena with the sun. I like that. Uh, I would have to say Greek islands and Australia. Let me tell you about each trip. Uh, the Greek islands, I went to, well, to Athens, and I also visited five islands. Four of them you've heard of. One of them I guarantee you've never heard of. Sandra, Fatland. Thank you for your insight and humor. Thank you so much for your contribution. You're lovely. I appreciate it. Uh, so the four islands that I'm sure you've heard of, Corfu, Crete, Naxos, and uh, Santorini. Those are some of the kind of touristy ones. But I got on the boat one day and I asked the captain, I was uh, traveling with a friend of mine, an MBA friend of mine, uh, backpacking, you know, the proverbial backpacking tour. This was 1990. And uh, I, I told the captain, take us. Thank you, Fung Zulu. Much appreciated. Thank you. Have a good evening as well. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, I asked him, take us to an island, no tourists, only locals. And so we ended up on this little island called Foligandros. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Foligandros is volcanic island. Unbelievable. As if time stood still. Oh, thank you, Patrick. Uh, and thank you for agreeing regarding uh, the meditator, the Malibu meditator, Sam Harris. Uh, you don't know how many people have written to me thanking me for that moniker for Sam. I, I don't mean to beat up on Sam. As I said, if he were to uh, be a man and uh, patch things up, 
I'm very forgiving. I'd be happy to. Any case, uh, so those five islands, Greek islands, magical. And so I've always wanted to return there with my family. This I went there before I was married in 1990. The other place, Australia, I went there. I went to Australia and New Zealand for my first sabbatical for a seven-week trip, five weeks. Thank you, Doc Prequel. Thank you so much. Uh, let me see. Advice on finding balance pre-agricultural or oh, advice on finding balance in terms of how to parent whether they should be or you should have helicopter parenting or free-ranging parenting is that what you're asking i'll try to look for your response there I, i'm not sure i understood your question but so to return to australia and new zealand uh my wife and i went there for seven weeks five weeks in australia two weeks in new zealand australia appealed to me because most of the cities that we visited were on the coast uh Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney, Cairns, Brisbane. And I'm a very much of a beach guy. I'm very much of you know a sun guy or dancing hyena guy, of course. Uh, and for those of you who know what I'm talking, the reference I'm talking about, great. If not, read the parasitic mind. Uh, and so I just loved uh, Australia. I thought it was such a cool place. Uh, the people were friendly. It was always sunny. So I would have to say those are two favorite places. I think a third place that would have been my favorite had we not been hit with COVID in 2020, we had booked a trip to go to Malta. Now, Malta has always appealed to me because some of its architecture and beaches uh, are evocative of Beirut. It just, it just somehow feels as though I would feel at home there. Uh, and it makes sense. It's in the Mediterranean. It's the same climate. It's the same sea, some of the sim similar architecture. So. I'm almost certain that whenever I do end up going to Malta, because we canceled our trip because of COVID, I think it's going to be uh, one of my favorite places. But frankly, anywhere that I go to, uh, I love because I'm discovering new things. <laughs> Big fan. I love the book. I have it from the center. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Have you experienced hallucinogenics? Uh, actually, I have never taken a single drug in my life. I think I might have mentioned this on one of my Joe Rogan appearances. I think I've been on Joe's show seven times, seven or eight times. Uh, I've never taken any drug of any kind. And that's not because I'm a puritanical freak. I just, I've never been into it. As a matter of fact, the, I, I've never taken a puff of a cigarette, not once in my life, not one time. Uh, the first time that I drank anything, I was 23 years old. I was playing on a soccer team. I had very long hair at the time. I was very attached to my long hair, kind of Samsonian complex. And when the when my soccer team found out that I had never drank, they kind of ambushed me. They took scissors and they grabbed my ponytail and they said, you're drinking tonight or else you're going to get a haircut. And that was my introduction to alcohol at the age of 23. All right, what else we got? How do you celebrate? Well, celebrate what? Anything? Uh, just with my family. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very much of a family man. There is no place I'd rather be other than, of course, talking to fans in a super chat live stream. Uh, so I usually just, you know, we, 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 we order some high-end sushi or... You know, we go to some little town outside of Montreal, some bucolic town, and have a great di dinner. Nothing crazy. I'm very much of a family guy. Uh, okay, what else? I'm curious if you are voting the upcoming Lebanese elections. Uh, no, 
because I don't think I can. I'm Canadian. Yes, I'm Lebanese, but I haven't kept my Lebanese passport and so on. So no. What's media role in spreading idea pathogens? Massive role. I mean, it's one of the great promulgators of idea pathogens. How old were you when you met your wife? Oh, what a fantastic question. Now, maybe I shouldn't answer this because I discuss all this in my forthcoming book, which I hope that even though I might tell you the story, you'll still go out and purchase uh, the book. Uh, again, remember, because it's very, very important for me to give all the royalties of my books to Justin Trudeau, as I recently found out when I found out what I own taxes. Super chat people, try to reduce my pain. Try to make me not jump off a ledge. Believe me, I, it was so dark. It was unbelievable. But just venting about it incessantly in this chat is, is certainly helping me. So thank you for being my psychotherapist, my collective psychotherapist. Uh, I met my wife as follows. Uh, incredible story about the beauty of the serendipity of life. Uh, I was training at a gym. I was doing some weights. And a gentleman passes by who knew me. And he says, hey, professor, how you doing? Uh, I say, hey, how are you? And then another guy whom I've never met, who I, whom I never met, says, oh, I just noticed, I just overheard him calling you professor. Are you really a professor? And I said, yes. He said, in which fields, which areas? So I tell him. He goes, oh, well, you know, I'm a owner of a company, kind of a calling center, telemarketing company. And we have in-house executive education, you know, where we'd like to... Uh, you know, have our executives go through uh, training. Uh, would you be interested in coming doing maybe six modules every Saturday? You know, you could do, you know, decision making, consumer behavior, advertising, uh, and so we put. So I agreed to do this contract. Uh, first day I arrived to his company, uh, downtown Montreal, and as I, it was a Saturday, uh, as I make it up the elevator. The person who is um, greeting me to take me to the to the room where I will be meeting the executives turns out to be my eventual wife. She says, oh, hi, are you Professor Sad? I said, yes. She goes, oh, I'll take you to the room. And of course, I'm very, even though this is this wasn't in the context of a university class, so, you know, it's a, it's a different dynamic here. I'm, I'm, this is a consulting gig with, you know, consenting adults, so there, there aren't the same ethics. I still kind of had a professorial hat, very formal, very, I mean, warm, but very serious. And I come to find out later that uh, Mrs. Sad had taken a liking to this. I mean, look at this. How could you expect her not to immediately fall in love? And so, so see, this, this kind of statement is the type of stuff that is part of the gadisms, that is part of my humor. Most people get it and think it's funny and charming. My, my three or four haters think that I'm being a narcissist. Anyways, so uh, she starts asking me, uh, she got mesmerized by that alpha male energy. Oh boy, if you only knew, if you only knew, if only there were things I could share, but alas, some things are constrained within the secrets of a marriage. Uh, so she then starts asking me, hey, you know, can I meet you? Because I really found this thing that you talked about in class about decision-making rules interesting. And I was thinking to myself, my God, it's what an amazing young executive that she wants to, you know, discuss these things. Later, when we actually, you know, were dating outside of the classroom context, she told me, you idiot. Do you think I gave a shit about anything you were saying? I just wanted to, you know, 
connect with you. So I thought, all right, I think she might be a keeper. So we started slowly after the course finished. There was no grading or anything, so there were no ethical issues. But we, we you know, we actually we went out the first time with a chaperone, old school, one of her friends, and we saw The Insider. It was a movie with uh, Al Pacino. He's the whistleblower against the tobacco industry, and so that was the first movie we saw. Uh, start and then what? So the story is. Uh, that's actually yeah right uh so the story is that uh my dad had had a health scare and so i had been uh, i had purchased a pager at the time this is in the 90s uh i purchased a pager in case he needed to urgently you know page me for an emergency for me to help him out and so i had told my wife okay well if you need to reach me uh you could page me and so we we agreed on a code if she would page me two 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 means I'm thinking of you. And so as I said goodbye, boy, am I sharing some personal stuff with you guys here. I think this deserves a slew of super chats. I'm opening up the Gad Vault. Be generous, be fair, be right. Anyways, so uh, so we say goodbye and I walk away from her and I'm probably around the corner, the pager runs, rings and it's 222 so it took 20 meters for her to say i'm thinking of you and i think she had paged it at 222 i think it was 222 in the morning we'd gone to see a late show or something and so i said i'm not much of a religious or mystical guy but i thought i thought she might be the one she's got a lot of spunk and spice so that's how i met her so sometimes people write to me and say you know how am i going to meet my soulmate how am i you know you meet them through the magic of life there's no other way i didn't know that i would end up meeting this wonderful woman. So there you have it. Guys, we're almost done. Last three minutes. Thanks, but it's technically about 20 kilometers away. I don't know what you're talking about. Food satisfaction, two, two, two. What? Is that my wife? Food satisfaction? Yes. Oh, my God. And I don't know. Someone with the moniker food satisfaction. By the way, my wife has a YouTube channel called Food Satisfaction, like sad satisfaction and i just got i don't know if it's her but if it is yeah food satisfaction ha 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 mrl7451 thank you for your contribution um so yeah if you are soul mateless you don't have a soulmate yet don't panic he or she might be just around the corner just be open to it that's all you know i uh, i'm always you know all kinds of people come up to me every day you know, fans and so on all the time. And uh, I always make time. I always stop. I always say hello because that person who's a stranger, I know it sounds like a cliche, but the stranger yesterday might become your best friend tomorrow. So just be open to life and good things will happen. Guys, this was absolutely fantastic. Two hours went by in five seconds and I didn't even eat. Maybe I'm now below 170. I don't know how often I'll be doing this, but I think one of the things that I'm hoping to do is set up a, a locals subscription-based uh, model, if only to, you know, come out of financial ruin because all the money will be taken away by the government very shortly. Uh, and so I'm hoping to have these live streams uh, on a on a regular basis. Please tell people about this. Uh, I hope to have a much bigger audience. I think you know having 300 plus people in an impromptu manner without any promotion was a good start. Thank you so much for all those who contributed uh, uh, the super chat uh, option. And even if you didn't, 
for those of you who showed up. I'm so sorry if I didn't, wasn't able to read everybody's comments. I tried to read as many as I could. Uh, this was great. This was fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm about to stuff my face with some food. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Cheers, everybody. Have a good night. Ciao. Bye.